When it comes to topics around pregnancy and birth, some are fairly well understood, but then there are others that are a bit murky. The topic of tongue tie seems to fall into that latter category. Today, I'll be chatting with a dentist and a midwife who have devoted their practices to better understanding tongue ties and to sharing that knowledge with others. I'm Amy Amanti, and welcome to the BC Midwives Podcast, presented by the Midwives Association of British Columbia. Our goal is to keep you, our members, informed about the latest news and discussions relevant to midwifery in the province of BC. Today, we're going to talk a bit about tongue tie with our two special guests. So let's do some self-introductions. We've got uh, Laura in the space. Laura, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm a general dentist practicing in Chilliwack, BC, and I am the mother of two tongue-tied children. Hi, my name is Jillian. I'm a registered midwife and IVCLC lactation consultant. I practice in Richmond and Vancouver. So, like, some basic background context would be, what is a tongue-tie, and what causes tongue-tie? Definition-wise, tongue-tie would fall under that umbrella term of tethered oral tissues. Mm -hmm. So you can also have lip ties and the the cheek ties. Tongue tie is the big one though. Um, And it is just a remnant of skin underneath the tongue that was supposed to dissolve um, in utero. And so something went went wrong along the way and that didn't happen. Uh, And so kind of like webbed fingers, it's a lack of cell death. The cause, that's a complex one. (laughs) We were discussing that a lot because this is... um an area of research that just is emerging and incomplete right now. There's been lots of different theories that have been proposed and some interesting cadaveric studies looking at at the ties and the frenum. Um, Histologically, there doesn't seem to be a midline defect. But again, you know, there's, there's no clear evidence right now I think what it's important for parents to know, though, is that there's no known association with other problems or abnormalities. I think people are concerned that there could be something else lurking. You know, is there a cardiac condition or some other genetic problem with my child? And so far, there's been no sort of associations with any other problems. So, Laura, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the history of tongue tie. Like, how long have we known about tongue tie? So tongue ties um, are definitely not a new problem. This is something that actually goes back to the 1600s. Um, Midwives used to release them routinely. It stopped for cultural reasons. Um, Wet nurses, as well as the introduction of formula, there was a big marketing push with that. But with the resurgence of breastfeeding comes the resurgence of problems that come with breastfeeding as well. And so not a new problem, even if it feels like this new thing that's emerging. Is there any sort of statistic about how many births um, experience a tongue tie? I know that, you know, in hospitals here, we're not checking every single baby that's born. You know, what about home births? The difference in the way that I might diagnose compared to somebody else, it's just too hard to measure, really. And again, when we go back to the definition of a tongue tie being a functional problem, we really have to look at the issue of how a child is feeding and how is the tongue functioning, not just a physical diagnosis of how the tongue looks. And so examining a baby at birth and looking at the tongue 
isn't really a way to diagnose a tongue tie. So even if we did take numbers from a visual inspection of a tongue tie at birth, as they do in some countries, for example, in Brazil, where there's a freedom inspection law, that wouldn't necessarily tell us the number of tongue ties because, again, it's a, it's a functional issue. Eating or sucking is one of the four main occupations of babies in their first year of life. So if there is a dysfunction in feeding, this represents not just a dysfunction in their life, but a major disruption to the life of the whole family. So then, Jillian, how does breastfeeding work? Since 2008, there's been a major shift in understanding how breastfeeding worked. A researcher named Donna Geddes, she used an actual vaginal ultrasound probe placed it under the chin of babies while they were breastfeeding. And what we learned was that there was no actual milking of the breast through the peristalsis of the tongue. There was actual vacuum generation where the baby's tongue, the tip of the tongue lifted around the breast against the upper palate, forming a vacuum seal. The mid-tongue dropped to form sub-atmospheric pressure, and that vacuum pressure is what pulls milk from the breast. So what that means, if the mid-tongue is not able to elevate, and if the mid-tongue is tethered to the jaw, so that when the baby drops the jaw, the mid-tongue isn't free to move and undulate, then there will be no vacuum seal. That means milk cannot be extracted from the breast. So Can you tell me more about the symptoms then? Like, how do you know that your baby's not sucking properly? So we see a lot of symptoms based on the compensation strategies that babies would employ to deal with that problem. So, for example, if the tongue isn't working, babies will use their jaws and their gums to try to pinch milk from the nipple. They'll overuse the orbicularis or their lip muscles to try to grasp onto the breast or the chest to try to make that vacuum seal with other muscles. So symptoms like premature fatigue at the breast or just doing really short, frequent feeds because they get too tired, those are symptoms that are caused from the inefficient use of the lips and the jaws instead of easy use of the tongue. Most common thing that I see coming into my practice is not pain and nipple damage or even weight gain issues. It's uh, colic, gas, reflux. You know, they sound minor in comparison to a baby that's not gaining weight or a mom's nipples that are damaged, um, but they can be extremely disruptive to the family. So, Laura, we've got anterior and posterior tongue ties. I'm wondering if you can tell me what the difference is between the two. Anterior versus posterior is a classification uh, based solely on appearance. Anterior ties are quite readily accepted because you can see that membrane of tissue extending to the tip of the tongue or near the tip. They're quite obvious. Posterior ties are where there's some controversy. They're not as easily seen. The key thing here is the presence or absence of a thin membrane of tissue um, is irrelevant. It's about function and the critical motion in breastfeeding is that elevation of the tongue. And if that is impeded, then it really doesn't matter how it looks. So if you imagine that a tongue tie is a sail on a boat, the posterior tie is the mast. Um, Just because you lower the sail doesn't mean the mast disappears. In reality, if there's an anterior tie, there is always a posterior tie. We cannot actually separate the two. Laura, by the time they come to you, what does that procedure look like? I'm sure a referral has to be made. Majority of the referrals that I get would be from... 
uh, lactation consultants, some midwives, but a lot are self-referred or referred from friends of other patients that we've treated. So I use a laser. Uh, we use a topical numbing gel. The reason we don't completely anesthetize is because for hours afterwards, the, the tongue won't be able to function properly. So we do want to try and reinitiate breastfeeding as quickly as possible, but um, also control pain. The procedure is extremely quick, less than a minute. We have a feeding room, so they have a private space to try and feed afterwards. And then I highly encourage them to reconnect with somebody for lactation support. And if they come back to you then, Jillian, for breastfeeding retraining, I suppose, does that look any different than what you would have offered them sort of postpartum right after the baby's born? There's often a lot of support needed around comfort for the latch. If there's been pain with the latch, we, we need to work on that. Parents are often, at the first time they see me, feeding for 45 minutes to an hour. And then when baby's feeding efficiently, they're almost afraid when baby's feeding for a normal time. You know, a four-week-old baby can sometimes feed for 10 minutes. And so they're almost distressed that the baby's only feeding for 10 minutes because their baby has been abnormally feeding for hours. So we have to talk through what normal feeding looks like. Can tongue ties dissolve on their own in any under any circumstance? So the type of collagen that makes up a tongue tie is just really strong, like a rope. It won't stretch significantly. It, you can't grow out of it. And dysfunction doesn't usually, you don't usually outgrow dysfunction. It kind of compounds uh, through life. There could be long-term health consequences if there is an untreated tongue tie. What might some of those consequences be? Think about what the importance is of the tongue. Something as simple as self-cleansing of the teeth. You know, your increased risk of decay if you can't do that. Speech is one thing that people are concerned about. Swallowing and sucking are very important for survival of that baby. And so we do see that the oral facial complex will be changed when all these other muscles are recruited. Then we end up with increased risk of um, things like mouth breathing, posture changes, if you think, um, increased risk of, of mouth breathing when the tongue drops low, the neck and the head has to come forward to compensate. Now think about carrying around a 10-pound ball in front of you all the time, day and night, and what that would do to your posture. If your posture is affected, your head is sitting forward, your core is going to be affected, your pelvic floor, it goes all the way down to your toes. Not to say that every single person that has this is going to have all of these problems, but there, that is a possibility. Right. I had no idea it was that complex. I think mouth breathing is another issue that a lot of parents don't realize can be affected by a tongue tie. When you're breathing through your mouth, you're putting the air directly in contact with the adenoids and the tonsils. The adenoids and the tonsils constantly getting air through there um, creates extra lymph and causes a different breathing pattern into the lungs. So our noses are actually meant to be filters for air. It humidifies the air, it cleans the air, and babies are obligate nasal breathers. They're supposed to be breathing through their nose. So anytime we see a baby breathing through their mouth, we know there's something wrong there. These are things that lead to, you know, narrowed airways and sleep apnea issues can per, per you know, continue on through through adulthood. So it sounds kind of crazy, but it's actually interesting that it goes back to the very beginning of life. And how interesting that breastfeeding could be the first domino to fall in this long-term health continuum. 
how educated is the average parent about this stuff? And whose job is it to educate in advance just in case this stuff comes up? I think this is a problem in the sense that a lot of those symptoms can be dismissed as normal. Um, and I think this is a challenge for us as care providers to really be aware of these so-called normal symptoms and put together the bigger picture. Um, you know, it is common to have nipple pain when you're breastfeeding, but it isn't normal. And it's common to have an extremely fussy baby or to have a period of purple crying, but it isn't always normal. So I, I think it it's a really important piece to look at the whole clinical picture. Often in, in busy practices, we have teams of multiple midwives seeing clients and we're busy. We have a lot of things to do. And, and as a midwife, you're not just responsible for the breastfeeding of that client. That's one of the many things that we have to take care of. And our clients are more and more complex these days and we are taking on more and more caseload. We have to do that to survive financially in this, in this industry. So it's not always easy to sit with a client for an hour and a half or two hours, take a thorough breastfeeding history, assess the feeding, do a pre and post feed weight, um, or even to know how to do the exam to look for a tongue tie, even when you do see all those symptoms. Do we know where midwives should be getting their resources for about tongue tie? I have an open door. Everybody I work with, whether it's a chiropractor, a midwife, a lactation consultant, has my cell phone number and they can text me and I would open that to anybody. If you have a question, I don't think either of us or any of us would judge judge you. Be like, what do you think about this? Or just refer. Like, you don't have to know everything. So I find this idea of this collaboration really interesting because dentist makes sense to me. Midwife makes sense to me. GP makes sense to me chiropractor doesn't like I can't I can't figure out how that works right I get but I guess it's part of somebody's typical medical team anybody in your medical team who you might be having a conversation with could maybe help you I don't know but talk about collaboration and why that's important and I think we always want to make sure that we're addressing any other things that might be restricting a good latch right we we don't want to do a procedure on a baby's tongue if there's extremely high tone if there's a torticollis where a baby's not turning and latching well, we want to rule out every other possible restriction that a baby might have and make sure there's no other barriers in the way. So that's why other body workers or a lactation consultant might help remove those barriers. So we want to make sure everything else is out of the way before we do a procedure. So working together as a team and seeing with many different eyes is really helpful. And it, it definitely is something where if you don't know yourself, then asking for help is always the best way to go. Well, I can only address the little piece of tissue under the tongue. Yeah. Those other professionals are needed to help with the, you know, that spillover, that effect that has on the rest of the body. It's good to know, like, who are the, the providers in your community if you do need a phrenotomy? Who, who can do that in your community? Is it a GP or a, a pediatrician that's willing to do a release for you? Or is it a, a dentist that does them well? And finding those resources ahead of time before you need them. Mm -hmm. um, finding out which body workers are, are reliable and you have access to quickly. And finding out People who have sliding scales of prices for people that don't have extended benefits or insurance or who's MSP covered or who isn't, 
what kind of insurance is available, et cetera. Like knowing all those things ahead of time so that when you do need them, you can quickly put things into action for people. That's really helpful. Jillian, Laura, I've learned a ton. It's really been a pleasure having you in the space to share this knowledge and this information. It's obviously really very important stuff. So thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for having us. Um, and thank you for allowing a dentist to <laughs> mingle with the midwives. <laughs> it's amazing to have that kind of collaboration and opening these doors uh, because that's the only way we get good care for our patients is when we all communicate and we all work together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, spread the word by sharing with others. You can also rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform as it helps the show. We really appreciate the support from our members. MABC exists to support our members, and this podcast is a response to feedback as a means of member engagement. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or any other comments, let us know by reaching out to the MABC. Until our next episode, I'm your host, Amy Amanti. Have a wonderful day. The BC Midwives podcast is produced by Amit Tandon and recorded at Kelly & Kelly Creative.